Welcome back to the Girls to the Front podcast. I'm your host, Harriet JW, and today we are talking about something I think is going to help a lot of you, and that is how to build your confidence. And my guest today is Lucienne Shakir, who's a master accredited coach and mentor and female empowerment specialist. But before we get into this episode, I want to tell you about a little something I've been working hard on. In just a couple of weeks, I'm going to be launching my Artist Academy Foundation course, development program specifically for women and non-binary artists who are looking to build their audience and their income from music. You can register your interest and hear a little bit more about it at www.artistacademyfoundation.com. I can't wait to see you there. But first, on with the show. Lucienne, I am so excited to have you on the Girls to the Front podcast. Thank you for joining us and how are you today? Oh, thank you so much for having me on, number one. And number two, yeah, doing really well, thank you. It's a bit of a whirlwind at the moment, life. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm definitely enjoying the ride and things like this are just a lovely stopgap. I find podcasts fascinating because you just get to really kind of just check in on what's going on it's fascinating stuff so thank you for having me and I think what you do is brilliant Harriet so looking forward to the chat today. yes and thank you just to give some context Lucienne is looking amazing in the cutest little pair of dungarees in a gorgeous looking room with some artwork and is that a piano or just a nice old side table in oh it's a nice there? old side table the uh, the piano is downstairs Harriet <laughs> Good, I'm glad it's somewhere. So straight into it, we always start with one big question. So your question today is, if you could do a TED Talk, what would it be? Oh, that's a great question. And it's on my list to do a TED Talk. So it would have to be on identity and sense of self. So I do a lot of research. I'm quite academically driven, got a really strong academic background. And so a lot of what I've learned and what I'm doing lends itself really well to that TED stage. And uh, I've got talk like TED, so I've done the reading, I've done quite a few gigs where I've spoken about this. And you obviously, you, you tread the boards and you try different themes and different topics, but identity and sense of self is that thing. And like confidence as well, that comes into it. And I know we're going to be talking about confidence today, where somebody could just say, go, And I would be able to talk for 18 minutes and take the audience on that journey and and feel really good about what I delivered. So it would definitely be identity, sense of self. And in there would be a whole dollop of how to grow your confidence. Amazing. I would be front row for that one. And I have no doubt that you will get on that stage at some point. So. As mentioned, today we are talking about confidence, which is a big topic for artists being on the stage, putting themselves out there, constantly having to put yourselves online. Um, So we really want to delve into what confidence is and how you can make sure yours is in optimum condition. And I know no better person to talk about this with than Lucienne Shakir. So Lucienne, 
You strike me as a very confident person. Has this always been the case? No. And and I think that's that's a really important place to start. I think I do come across being very very confident. And what I would what I would say is it's not a facade because I feel confident in certain areas and in other areas I don't feel so confident. So I don't believe that there's any such thing as a confident or an underconfident person. I think there are zones of comfort and discomfort. And I think there are zones where people really shine. And there's a there's a myth that people live by um, and expect, which is that some people are born more confident than others. And that's just simply not the case. Um, you are there's no confidence gene there is no I mean obviously as long as everything is in good working order and you're able to learn how to communicate and your emotional intelligence is good you can grow your confidence and it comes from your experiences and your environment and so um, I'm speaking to you now I'm looking into a camera and I'm quite comfortable doing that. This is now a zone of comfort for me and therefore I'm confident because I've had a number of successful experiences to my own merit, to my own judgment that have made me feel that I'm okay being here. However, if you'd have asked me that question five years ago, as much as five years ago, just being here would have been really, really difficult. And so it's very easy to be in a situation where you look into a camera or you step onto stage or you, you talk publicly and you're like, I, I'm just so not comfortable. I'm just so not confident. I can't do this. And therefore label yourself as underconfident. I can't do this. I can't do that area. But when you learn that confidence is something that you grow through repeated successful action, you know that you will start somewhere. And if it's important enough to you, you will do the work to make sure that you get to the point where I'm at today and I'm talking to you. So I had, um, it was called facial dysmorphia, you know, in terms of GP and, and that whole kind of new, new medicine side of things. For me, it was, I had learnt behaviorally within my thought processes when I looked in a mirror, I had learned to tell myself that I was very ugly and that stopped me from um, from being an online presence that stopped me from really stepping into what I now know is beauty and real self-love and not vanity but just appreciating and enjoying being who I am and it really could have held me back like I could be in a place today where I'm not able to speak to you but because I knew that that was a thought process that had established itself, I challenged it and I worked on it and I gave myself small actionable things that I could do consistently, successfully, so that I could be at a point where I was on stage and I was speaking. Because that was the goal was to, to be on stage, to be a thought leader, to be somebody who's inspiring. And so if I'm going to preempt your next question, which is like, how do you actually do that? It really does come down to knowing what you want, how important that is to you, and then breaking it right down. So for example, on Instagram, I would have like, I would be sick at the thought of going live. 
Like that would turn my stomach inside out. The fact that everybody would be looking at my face, that I would be looking at my own face, that it used to capture you on that live screen with like an image of you talking and it could be halfway through something and your face would be all jumbled up. And that to me was like horror of all horrors. Um, and so what I did was I started really small and I said, right, I'm going to go live once a month, um, whether that was on a Facebook live or whatever. And the outcome, the successful outcome for me is that I managed to talk for 60 seconds on this subject and I leave feeling that I've served my community. And that's how I started. Uh, I had a coach at the time who said, if you don't get over this, you're, you're definitely not going to grow into the space that you need to grow into. So I actioned it out and I built it up like that, slowly and very surely. There were a few knocks along the way. You know, there are always people who will say something a little bit cruel or especially when you're stepping out of your comfort zone and you're doing stupid reels like dancing about the living room and, you know, all those really uncomfortable, cringeworthy things. And then you just get over it, you learn to get over it. And the history of success is greater than the history of failure. And it just becomes a more natural way for you to be. And, and now I can sit here and talk to you and I'm fine with it. Thank the Lord that we are able to have this conversation. There's so much there that I want to unpick, but I want to start with the struggle, I guess, because that this will be where a lot of people are coming from listening to it. And for you, this um, manifested in, I think you called it facial dysmorphia, which I imagine is similar to body dysmorphia, where people think that their body looks different to it does. So is this something that um, was from when you were young and it was something that you then had to take on as an adult or was it something that just came about? Yeah, so it's interesting. There was there's a lot of things that were going on there but there was one very pivotal time um so there was a history of me being called ugly I had a, I had a group of female bullies who were delightful human beings all going through their own stuff I'm sure but who were really really horrible nasty I didn't let it ever visibly affect me but it definitely impacted me so things like burger lips because I had quite quite pronounced lips um got really big gums I've got big teeth and big gums and when I smile you can see as much of my gum as you can my teeth and they like to point that out a lot I got really bushy eyebrows um I got I had I was told I had a piggy pointy nose you know so you can see my nostrils but I'm also it's also quite pointy so all of these things were things that were said to me living in a in a small village having a small primary school community that was said quite often and that actually went into secondary school so that went all the way through secondary school so I was hearing that narrative a lot I also had a little bit of an issue around um, my sense of self and identity because I'm, I'm half German and they would say they would call me a Nazi and all, and all of these things and at the time I was like whatever like it doesn't bother me at all like I was absolutely fine but I know now what from what I know psychologically that that will have had an impact because I can remember those things as well I can't remember the good things people said about me but I can remember those not very nice things and there was one incident that happened when I was I think I was 16 15 or 16 um I've got I've got a quite a good physique so my body is um 
is pretty pin-up. It has been for a long time, not particularly tall, but in terms of like lingerie or bra modeling, I've got a large bust, I've got quite a large bum and I've got a small waist. And that was really desirable for, you know, certainly men used to call me out on it all the time. And there was a photo shoot that I did. And there'll be a lot of girls who are in your community who've experienced this because people are very easy and quick to say things about the way a woman looks, right? Um, I was at a photo shoot. It was for a friend's um, lingerie shop. It sounds really seedy, but it wasn't at all. And she had somebody taking photos and they were two guys and I went to get changed and I overheard their conversation and it's such a shame that I did because it really cemented how I felt about my face and they said if only we could like put somebody else's face on top of her body it would be perfect and at the time you could kind of do that but this is like a good 15, 16, 17, I'm not quite sure on the maths, years ago. So it was quite a long time ago. And these were amateur photographers. So they probably didn't know what they could do with my face. I don't know. But I heard it. And so I had this instant realisation where my body was worthy enough of being photographed for, for this shop, for these magazine, local magazine articles, but my face wasn't worthy of going into those magazine articles or onto that, that billboard for that shop. And it just kind of put a rubber seal of approval on everything that people had been saying in the past. And it's shocking, really, because it's still there. It's definitely still there. So when I talk to you about my piggy pointy nose, my burger lips, my standout teeth and my big gums, I can see it as I'm talking in in this zoom meeting and I, I feel a little bit uncomfortable but I know that that's a narrative that I don't need to actually listen to and there are lots of things about my face that I know are beautiful and that I do love and cherish and actually I've worked with so many women now who hate their faces and hate their bodies that I've realized that the self-talk that we have is just so demonizing and awful I'm not prepared to do that anymore to myself so yes there was a moment that cemented it for me it's still there but I know how unkind it is to let that narrative run its rule in my mind in comparison to actually going do you know what Lucienne you're beautiful it's okay don't worry about it enjoy your face because you're going to be old one day and you're going to wish <laughs> that you still had that you have so yes there was a, a moment and there'll be a lot of girls that work with you and things will be said backstage on stage in photo shoots and these these girls will be listening to and picking up on that all the time so it's really important to call it out and understand what people are saying and the impact that it has well thank you for sharing all of that and I know that you know all of these comments we all sit on this history of things that we've heard and things that we've seen and it just builds and it builds and it builds and the power of the negative over the positive in terms of your memory and remembering them is, is just amazing but something that I wanted to ask from a personal perspective when I coach artists I often have them talking about these um, things that they see in themselves that I can't see so when you're talking I'm like what she's stunning and like I you know I thought that from the first time I ever saw a photo of you on Instagram but is that then helpful to be told that and I think it, I'm thinking of one particular artist who's like 
ideal face, body, hair, everything, who just thinks that she's ugly and worthless. And I, I'm not sure if me going, what, you're beautiful, you're stunning, what is helpful in any way? From a coach, friend, parent perspective, what is the helpful reaction to somebody who really does believe this about themselves, but you can't see it? Mm, that's a really good question, Harriet. Really good question, because I think a lot of that formation in the early years of your life when you're a child gives you and fills that confidence in your in in the way that you look so for example I had a mum who allowed me to you know I was able to be adventurous I was you know I had a lot of free reign very independent but she was a very young mum and some of the things I was never really told that I was beautiful when I was young, that I was pretty, that, you know, I could embrace my beauty. In fact, it was something that was kind of like a little bit, it was a little bit uncomfortable, actually, you know, you know, not not showing certain parts of your body, like your shoulders or stuff, because it was too provocative. It was that kind of narrative rather than you're so beautiful, you're so you're so pretty. And that can be vacuous as well when parents are saying that and it doesn't mean anything. But I didn't believe that I was beautiful because I wasn't hearing that from the adults around me very often I hear it a lot now and it's lovely but at the time I I didn't hear it very often and so I think that formation of self-belief of beauty can happen at a young age when you've got those influences of parents who are you know beauty is a subjective thing as well I think that's really important to say because what I find and it's not actually that important it's how you feel about the way that you look that's important so I'm not saying that parents need to be saying that their children are pretty or whatever but actually as parents we have a responsibility to grow those foundations of confidence for our children and in all areas including beauty and loving yourself and being able to step forward in in who you are because I know that I'm going off on a slight tangent here Harriet but there is nothing more beautiful than confidence right you can look however you look the most beautiful thing in the world is somebody who is grounded in their confidence And so it's got nothing to do with facial features. It's got nothing to do with your body. There are some of the most beautiful people in the world haven't got that stereotypical symmetrical face that we see in magazines, but they love themselves and they're confident in that. And that is stunning. So it's having that grounding and that formation of knowing that you can step into your beauty from your parents. But to answer your question, when you get to a certain age, it's my belief that Anything that you say to a person that is in response to their fear or their discomfort isn't going to really help. It has to come from within them. So you can you can coach them and you can guide them and you can say, you know, how is this going to help you? How is thinking like this going to support you? Um, Is there is is there something that you see like this in somebody else that you know that you don't agree with, you know, guiding them down that journey of opening their mind. But when you say, oh, you're, but you're so beautiful. I really don't understand how you can feel that way. The instant human reaction is you don't know what you're talking about. And actually what it does is it just solidifies how that person feels about themselves. It can be done in a really great way. It can be it can be really helpful. But more often than not, psychologically speaking, as a coach, 
when you've got young women coming to you with that, I would definitely suggest asking questions which highlight their thinking so that they can begin working on that for themselves. And a great question is, how is thinking like that going to impact you for the next five, 10 years? And when that realisation hits home, it's like, okay, this isn't going to help me. I need to do something about this. God, it's so it's so deep rooted, isn't it? And I'm going to become a parent for the first time in three months. And I'm reading a lot about this. And I am somebody that has been very achievement oriented throughout my life, like history of sports and things. And I've even started, I mean, thank God I'm having a boy. And I'll ask you about this in a minute, what the differences are. But, you know, even so much as like when I'm playing with my niece, I'm now catching myself saying like, you're really good at that. Well done. Let's try and, you know, make it harder, whether it's throwing a bit of paper in the bin and like, you know, solidifying someone's confidence around a sense of achievement rather than a sense of trying and telling her that she's beautiful, but also not wanting to to think that that matters more than other areas. It's just so complicated, isn't it? And with that, like, how is it different for men and women? Is it different for men and women? That is a very, very good question, because we've been so focused on sexually objectifying women in popular media that we've been looking a lot at how it's impacted women and we've seen that begin to happen with men as well that that you know that ideal body ideal way to look and how that is impacting men as well I think as soon as you throw anyone no matter what gender they are under the the bus of scrutiny and you begin to give this ideal version of what that person should be like in mainstream media you create problems for people because we're human and we're very very different and that's all about you know how our culture works in terms of what sells you know sex sells looking good sells um and I think we're beginning to see a shift from that kind of um life and marketing and what is right that insta good life And we are beginning to see, we've had the emergence of purpose washing in corporations, so making it look like we're actually tackling the mental health behind what's been going on with our magazine covers, etc. And I think now we're actually stepping into an age where we are actually genuinely in organisations and corporations concerned about the mental health that our organisations might have created. I'm talking about fashion magazines and the music industry as an example. So... I think it doesn't matter what gender you are, if there is an ideal for you to achieve in popular culture and you are far away from that ideal, it is very, very difficult if you want to step into that that arena. But where you see the biggest success in people, let's talk music, where you see the biggest success is where those people have used their difference to really step into their power where they've changed the world. Look at Freddie Mercury, look at Lady Gaga, look at people like people who've stepped into their difference and have owned that. I immediately thought Ed Sheeran, Lizzo, Lewis Capaldi, like three of the biggest artists right now. Yeah, basically using their difference to challenge that status quo and disrupt the, the, the market and disrupt what's going on because these are the people who've gone... I don't give a shit. I've got talent and I am going to use that talent. 
and think about the mental struggles that they must have had to go through to actually step into that power. I mean, just Freddie Mercury is an example. You know, there was nothing like him before he did what he was doing. Nothing like him. Nobody sounded the way that he did. Nobody sounded the way that Queen did. And what they did was really, really revolutionary. And lots of people told them that it was just too out there. It was just too weird. It, but they stuck to their guns and they knew they believed in their talent. And I think that we can have this focus on mainstream media, but actually the people who've been truly successful in their genius are the ones who've stepped into their talent and disregarded that ideal sense of self. That's so interesting. And and I just want to kind of hang around on it for a while because I think it's such an important one with the music industry. And now I'm like thinking about every like super successful artist. Like I know, I know that she doesn't look the same now, but Adele, for example, like when she had her true rise to the top, it's when she was, you know, much bigger than every other artist. And that it's almost like, you know, Brené's Brown, what makes you vulnerable is what makes you beautiful is coming to mind. So it's those differences that are probably actually going to be the thing that really do contribute to your success. And these are the things that as artists, you're always trying to push away. I'm too big, I'm too small, I'm my voice is too deep, you know, all of these things are probably going to be the things that if you can truly embrace them are the things that are going to help you rise rise to the top and and make a difference. Yeah, I think that's really important for any artist here to, you know, even sit sit down with pen and paper and write down what those differences are. What is it that makes you feel different because they're probably the things right now that are making you feel less confident in yourself, but they're probably the things that you need to use. Yeah, absolutely. If you if you follow the crowd, if you follow the crowd, you become part of that crowd. You become lost. You you need to discover your difference and and really harness your talent in that difference because that's where you will shine. If if you want to be the you and not the other of somebody else as an example. I mean, I think of Britney and, and Christina Aguilera, right? They came out around the same time, didn't they? If my memory serves me correctly. And um, you've got Oasis and Blur and who came out at the same time. And, you know, they they were doing a similar thing, but they were doing it very differently. They, they really knew the market and they really knew how, to, and the people around them really knew how to tap into that. But when you look at what's happening to Britney today, you know, she was a puppet of that system and she was created to be this money-making machine, basically. Let's have a look at Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is of an age where she actually owns her owns her own estate and her own capital and she is creating she's a really savvy businesswoman and she has used the tradition of country singing to really propel her fame but she has she has stepped into her own feminine power in doing that which is what has made her so successful so even within niches of and genres of music these people are finding their very own voice uh, pardon the pun, <laughs> uh, to be able to to really stand out. And I think that, that that is so important. I think it's massively important, not just in the music industry, but in everything. Um, if your music is your business, you need to get, you need to get business-like about what it is that you're putting out there. 
So I've got so far as two kind of big highlights is discover your difference and own your business as two starting points to kind of building this confidence space. So I just wanted to touch on where what we're talking about aligns with imposter syndrome, because that's something that is a kind of buzzword around the online space. And I think we'll get into the online space in a moment. So does imposter syndrome come about when you basically haven't had enough of those experiences that you talk about to make you confident in something? So for example, you coming onto this Zoom, if you were only on like your second Zoom and me and Sarah were on our 50th, would imposter syndrome then strike you because you were less far on with your journey of something? Mm. So I've not, I've not done a lot of research into imposter syndrome. I've done quite a bit and I do teach a module on imposter syndrome, but there's a lot of, because it's quite a new discovery in the academic world, uh, especially, and it's now something that's being used by a lot of people, the use of the term imposter syndrome it is a little bit wishy-washy in some areas. And so if you come back to where where it has originated, it really is a debilitating way of thinking and it is a syndrome. So it's not just a case of turning up to a Zoom and feeling like you're uncomfortable because you are um, in a situation where you're there's people who are much more experienced than you. It is where you have the skills, the knowledge, the history and the experience to be at that table. So I I talk a lot around, um, I talk with a lot of C-suite boards, basically. I, I talk with a lot of corporate boards. And so there will be women on those boards who've got the same amount of experience. There'll be men as well who have the proven track record, but who do not feel that they are as worthy of being around that table as everybody else and it holds them back and that is the truest nature of imposter syndrome and it feeds through everything that they do so they genuinely feel that even though they're there they don't belong there they're not worthy of being there and so it is clinical in some senses and a lot of people like you say use the term imposter syndrome and again there's that imposter syndrome washing of like oh yeah well we suffer from imposter syndrome and actually I would ask you to really evaluate whether or not you do suffer from imposter syndrome because sometimes it might actually just be an underconfidence it might be that you haven't got the experience Like I didn't have, I didn't have the experience of going live on social media and therefore the imposter syndrome, um, let's say that I had imposter syndrome about something, um, might have been not so much about the going live, but might have been about who am I to be coaching when I'm under 40 years old, I've been in education and I don't, I haven't, you know, got this, that or the other. So Imposter syndrome is a very specific psychological thing that is really, really debilitating and is very difficult to get over. It's not just something that you have for a few months and then you get better (laughs) from it, in my opinion. And yeah, and I think that's a really important thing to point out is that are you just not practiced enough in something yet? And I think 
you know, we have this illusion and the online space, again, will really contribute to this. That people. So let's talk about it in terms of music. Uh, we have this illusion of the, she just came out of nowhere. She's just suddenly a successful artist, the overnight success. And I always use this example of an artist that we featured on Secret Sessions when she was 12 years old, who's Mahalia, who's now blown up and is um, doing amazing things. But to everyone else, she just popped up and just won this Brit Award. She just came out of nowhere. And it's like, no, at 12 years old, she was emailing channels like Secret Sessions and asking to come and play her guitar. Like, same with Ed Sheeran. It's like the amount of stages that boy has played before anybody knew who he was. Whereas I think that the, particularly with Instagram and platforms like that, they just give this illusion that people just come out of nowhere and that they haven't done their 10,000 hours of practice. And, and actually, I would say to people that when you are having that imposter syndrome, like really ask yourself, do I just need to practice this? And it's not, no, I can't go live, I can never go live, or no, I can't, I can't play stages. It's, do I just need to good old-fashioned practice? <laughs> yeah, but we do see, so if we look at um, where I do see it a lot is in male-dominated industries. You think about the corporate world, it was created by men for men. Uh, we now have a lot more women working in those industries than ever before. You know, music used to be a male dominated industry. I don't know if it still is, actually, probably is. Yeah. And so, you know, you are stepping into an arena that hasn't been created for you and for your identity and for who you are. And so there's automatically the imposter that creeps up historically speaking so I think we're not past that yet we've still got a bit of work to do on on all of that um making people feel welcome appreciating diversity and difference um, but yeah imposter syndrome is a term that needs to be used with a bit more education in my opinion definitely okay so let's tackle the elephant in the room which I see as the internet so how does the like so many of these issues particularly for talent is going to be focused on right now Instagram and you know in a year that will probably be TikTok in two years it will be a new platform that we've never heard of but how much of everything that we're talking about would you say is made worse by the online space social media is a monster but it's also, it can be a great thing for community as well. Laurie Santos, she does the science of well, well-being at Yale University. And you can register for it. It's a really comprehensive, great course. And she talks about points of reference in terms of happiness and how, you know, in the 70s and 80s, our reference points for success were what car our neighbour drove into the estate with or what suit so-and-so walked out on or at the neighbour's barbecue, you know, what handbag they had, for example, you know, if we're talking about material things. Now, those points of reference, those points of comparison are everywhere, all day, every day. We are bombarded by those reference points of what it means to be happy or successful. And so um, if we're not aware of the, how much we're comparing ourselves to those pictures, then that can be really dangerous as a start. So comparison is, is a big thing that I love to talk about and I love to tackle head on. Another thing is the fact that as human beings, we're very primitive 
actually. We think that we're not primitive, but we really, really are. So 80% of our cerebral function comes from a really ancient part of our brain. Um, and it's just based on survival and instinct. 20% of what we do is in this prefrontal cortex, this executive function, which is growing over the millennia, which is creating, you know, the communities, the discussions that we have, um, create agriculture, meant that we could stay put, like all of, all of these things that have come from being able to sit and think rather than run away and survive. But this part of our brain is still very much at the forefront of everything that happens, the back part. I'm pointing to the back part, thinking that the people listening are able to see what I'm saying. <laughs> and so when we look at a picture on Instagram, we don't go, hang on a second, how many minutes did it take for that person to get into situ? What did they need to do for them to get their face that way? what um what needed to happen for their clothes to be right did they have to wash their clothes last week iron them make sure that they were set out did they take 70 pictures all in different outfits and then post them on different days which is something that i do you know we don't we don't look at it and evaluate with our executive function what we do is we look at it and we go oh that's so nice i wish i could be dot 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 and that's that ancient part of our brain. So I think the only way that we can get around this is education. And if we could just put a, a stop on time and go, okay, what impact is this actually having? And how can we support human beings through this process? It would be great, but we can't do that. So we need to make sure that the people who are responsible for that conglomerate of social media, money-making machines are are responsible for how they educate people in what they're seeing and I think that that's super important and if they're not going to do that then we as adults need to notice and we need to educate ourselves on how that's working so it's our responsibility but it's also those moguls responsibility to ensure that they're educating because it can be really really devastating to a lot of people to see these pictures of ideal lives which just aren't real yeah and that's so interesting that the point around education because I think even with what we're talking about today when you actually understand from like a physiological point of view why you're having these reactions it's much easier in the moment to check yourself when you're having those reactions and think you know she's not actually in first class in did you hear about so apparently there is now these suites that you can go and rent out and they're essentially photo booths that put you in a first class seat on an aeroplane so that you can take a picture of yourself and then post it to Instagram and pretend you're flying somewhere it does not surprise me at all absolutely bonkers like you and I've met on uh, on Clubhouse and you know we know that there are people who have bought followers or there are people on Instagram who have bought followers now when I first started on Ant on Instagram I was like I need to like I probably need to buy some followers I need to like how but you, your instant reaction is, oh, how do I keep up with these people? And you, you go to that in your mind. But, you know, when I come back to my values and what it means to falsify, and that's what you're doing, you're falsifying the information. We as people who are influential public speakers, thought leaders, people on social media, 
we have a responsibility not to falsify what we're putting onto social media. That means not buying followers. That means not making up our pictures. I mean, yeah, you, you can say like, where do you draw the line? I looked very different about an hour ago. You know, I had wet hair. I didn't have any makeup on. And now I'm presenting myself as somebody who's, you know, fresh out the box, whatever. But at what point do we say too far is too far? And for me, paying for a studio which looks like first class when you can't afford first class and you're portraying an image of yourself that's not real is just falsification and it's not okay and what it does is it perpetuates the problem so people then follow you thinking that you're that you've made wealth whatever wealth means to you monetary wealth where you can afford to fly first class and then want to do the same thing and so how do we know what's real anymore and like how does it just blows my mind it blows my mind that's not to say that I haven't been you know, I have thoughts sometimes where, where I'm like, gosh, if I could just hire a conference room in so and such and deliver my training there, it would look amazing. It would look absolutely incredible compared to, you know, some of the clients that I've got. I've got amazing conference rooms, but we're not allowed to film in them because I sign an NDA. So, you know, where does the line, where is the line crossed? And I think if it's truthful, and it's honest, it's okay. But when you are deceiving people, I think it's just so wrong. I don't know if I've answered your question. I've just gone on a massive rant, but it really annoys me. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I, I like to try and trust my gut with these things because yes, we all use a filter now and again. Yes, we all potentially pump up levels of certain success and focus on other things. And I think that, you know, it's natural. And I think naturally as human beings a lot of us uh, I know I would and you you probably are someone that would as well um more likely to downplay things so I often have to sort of force myself to celebrate successes and highlight wins and you know that's the nature of social media but it's also the nature of being proud and being confident and and selling yourself so I think where you have to realize and this is for artists particularly like going on and talking about how proud you are of your single and how well you've done doesn't come naturally to a lot of people but I often just really try and follow my gut with what what feels right and if you get that kind of slight icky awkward feeling that you're not being authentic and you're not being true to yourself then maybe that's the time to sort of check check in with what you're posting and and you do have a responsibility as an artist to to your fan base and often a lot of the girls that we work with they they have a very young fan base and I think just you know being conscious of the space and being conscious of the way that you feel is you might be making someone else feel that way as well so you know it's a cycle um, and I'm just so happy that it is a conversation now that is very prominent and starting to being taken into our own hands a lot more so we're getting closer to to wrapping up but I just wanted to go into a little bit of some of the kind of 
tools, tactics, techniques, like we've spoken a lot about the kind of physiological state, which I think is really useful for just being able to check in. But do you have any like morning routines, any daily rituals, like anything that you can share that can just prime you and get you into this state of feeling confident and not feeling rubbish? basically when you when you log into your platforms I do I really really do what's important to note is that when you hear this when you hear people talking about this if you try and do everything all at once you're setting yourself up for failure so as you're listening to this just choose one or two things that can serve you do them for a month and see how they go and evaluate them so um, it's taken me a long time to get to where I'm at bearing in mind as well I had a nervous breakdown about 10 years ago so what I do is based on knowing what it's like to be burnt out and making sure that I look after myself. And so the trick is to not only do this stuff when you feel bad, when you need to take action, but to do this stuff when you feel good too. So to be proactive rather than reactive. The first key thing is knowing your cycle as a woman, understanding where you are on your menstrual cycle, what that means to you, when your great days are, when your not great days are, really in terms of high performance, you can imagine me saying this to a boardroom of like 12 men, the women that that we work with, we need to know, they need to know how to work at peak performance. And that's about knowing your cycle. The second thing that's really, really important is having a routine having a morning and an evening routine that bookend your day and making sure that the night before for me this is so important you have prepared yourself for the following day because the more you can do to prepare the less your brain has to think about what's going on and your brain just wants to conserve calories and it's really stressed if it has to hold all of that information in there so preparing the night before to the point where you just spend 10 minutes journaling out right what's happening tomorrow what do I need to put in place and and making sure that that's all set up and then The last thing that I'll say is, because I could actually talk all day about this, is that we are no more sophisticated than our biology. We are human beings. And so we need good sleep, hydration, good nutrition, exercise and a good community in order to thrive. That's the foundation of what you need. So if you are expecting to perform, to be visible and to be at peak performance, you don't know when your cycle is, you're not organized with your day, you're not well hydrated, you haven't eaten well, you're not well exercised and you haven't got a good community around you, you're really, really, really swimming against the tide. So those things are absolutely key. And if you do that consistently when you feel good, as well as when you feel bad, you will definitely set yourself up for success. Amazing. Lucienne, thank you, thank you, thank you. I too could chat all day on this. It's such a brilliant subject. I want to make sure people know exactly where to find you so they can go and get more of this information. What is your best method of communication? Well, for all the cool kids out there, Instagram. I used to have 400 followers. (laughs) I'm now approaching like... You know, I've got the thousands now, guys. Yes, she's there. I'm actually worthy of this world. So I think probably at the moment, the best place to find me is on Instagram, um, Lucienne Coaching. Or you can find me in Clubhouse every morning. I'm there every day. 
sad soul that I am. No, it's a great place. It's brought people like you and I together, which I'm so happy about. And I can't wait to continue conversations offline. But for now, thank you so much. And we'll put all the links to your Instagram, etc. in the show notes. Thank you, Lucienne. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening and joining us on the Girls to the Front podcast. If you want to come and say hello on Instagram, you can find me at HarrietJW or at GirlsTTF for the Girls to the Front page. Once again, I just wanted to remind you that if you did want to sign up to our artist development program, you can head to artistacademyfoundation.com. Join me next week on the Girls to the Front podcast when we'll look at how to build a loyal fan base with Michael Walker. As usual, subscribe, download and review this episode as it really helps us get out to more people just like you.